0: Hi guys, Paul from the innovation community here. Today, I'm with Daniel Cho, who is the Senior Director of Global Pricing and Competitive Portfolio Analytics at Philips Healthcare. Now, Daniel is a pricing leader and and, and a leader in analytics as well with an extensive background in the, the medical space. So thanks for joining us, Daniel.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting
0: Just to start, tell us a bit about yourself in a few words.
1: Uh, So I'm the head of strategic pricing, um, basically for Philips and already working in Germany for the last 15 years. Uh, Before that, I take multiple different roles. Uh, Maybe later on, I can explain a little bit more on my journey to come into head of pricing.
0: And where did your career working in data
1: start? Oh, that's a long story. So I actually started uh, as a computer science graduate, so I'm pretty technical. Um, And my first job is actually uh, a a management consulting uh, person, you know, working for Pricewaterhouse in Sydney, uh, focusing on IT and data analytics. So that time, that was like 30 odd years ago, (laughs) long, long time ago.
0: And how have you seen your role change from when you started out working in computer science to the present day?
1: So I think the role changed a lot because uh, previously I, I was doing it um mainly towards the 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 order of someone. Someone asked me to generate a report and someone asked me to do this, do that. So now it's more self-driven. Um and the objective is also quite different. So we in pricing is basically uh having the task to help the company to grow profitably. Uh so achieving both the growth and also profit. Um and and that is actually a, a very difficult task because it is almost like an opposite drive, driving uh, capabilities because if you drive growth, normally you try to push down your price and then you gain the volume. Uh, if you want to have profit, then you need to pump up your price. So you are actually conflicting um, at your hands and you need to manage also a quite sizable business that, that has a very, very diverse uh, background and customers. Uh, so we are, Actually, running a 4.3 billion uh, euro business globally, um, and and also we have to really do it in a in a surgical precision because one percent error means the company will be losing 43 million euro in profitability. So so we need to be very careful what we do. So that's different to before, which is just you know you do your job. Someone asks you to generate a report, generate, push it out, and then that's it. Yeah.
0: So what really interests you about working with data?
1: Data facts, so the, they don't lie. That's the interesting part. It's almost like um, if you are doing a CSI you know, in the movie, you have all these clues lying around and these are your data. And, and you have to you know, use a lot of your intelligence to deduce what's behind the data and, and coming out with evidence you know, to support your next action. Um, so that's actually fun. I mean, it's almost like a detective. Uh, story every day in my career now
0: amazing so speaking of your career what are some of the major successes that you've achieved over that time in your opinion
1: so i think the the turning point was actually 2016. so myself and my team um we make two things almost impossible to happen at the same year so number one is to reverse the price erosion Um, So price always go down. I think that's the fact everyone knows. So I call it gravity, Um, it never go up. But actually at that single year, we managed to reverse that uh, and and, and grow the price globally for all markets um, in that year for Philips. Um, And then the second thing was to make money out of India. So (laughs) India was a a business that was quite painful for many, many years. So to turn them around and, and generate positive EBIT was a gigantic ask, but we managed to do it at the same year.
0: And just moving back into the the wider context of your role, a big question at the moment, especially in Europe, is is about data privacy. So how has data privacy impacted the way that you work with with end users, I guess in your cases, hospitals and and doctors?
1: So basically, um, you have to find a way to anonymize your data. You know, you you, you can't uh, generate and distribute, you know, um, your data if it contains someone else's data. So basically we need to find a way to extract the data without the people's names and address and phone numbers. Uh, so we may address them as a title. So head of finance is fine, but giving the name of that person is not. Um, and then also to our users, you, you can't measure them. For example, who is using the system, who is not using the system. So there are a lot of limitation uh, in in how we analyze very different to before. I mean, even analyzing sales performance, for example, previously we can point to which person is performing how good, uh, in 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 you know in that month or in that quarter. Now it, we hesitate. I mean, we can still do it, but we need special approval and and get signature from every person we want to analyze, and they have to give us the consent before we can analyze them, which is a pain. So I rather stop doing those kind of analytics. So it it, it does uh, limit us a lot. Uh, But we still can treat it like a case, I mean, an an incident rather than pinpointing at a person uh, and and looking at the action rather than looking at, you know, who is taking that action. And that still can allow us to do a lot of uh, corrections and and, and, uh, improvements.
0: And although data privacy has really affected that in a way, there's definitely new ways of being able to do that. How how do you use machine learning to predict and make decisions and more effectively target those who are using your patient
1: monitors? So we actually don't do the user analytics side. And so this is another team. Uh, so I do only the pricing side. So I only need to understand. So who is still buying and at, at what price and, and are these different segments, I mean, and, and, and do they, prefer, you know, they, do they buy things with a different reason and also with a different price? So we analyze what they call micro-segmentation, so looking at, for example, a, a direct channel in China versus an indirect channel in, in a private hospital versus a public hospital, a level three plus or uh, 3A hospital versus a level 2B hospital. I mean, all this analytics uh, that we do and we try to find out what is the optimum Price to go into each segment, uh, so that we can optimize our profit and growth. Uh, so where can we get more money? So we call skimming uh, to fund, you know, the the other side of the business, which which we call penetration. So you need to expand in a certain market by investing in more discount. But where do the money come from? So it has to come from another uh, customer that more likely to 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 perceive your value higher and 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 you need to balance between the two mix and then you know get yourself into this profitable growth situation which is quite tough i would say
0: and and it is very tough so same question from a different perspective how are the sales leaders in your organization integrating data to help them with the decision making side
1: of things yeah so basically um we tell them um with facts of course where are the Potentials. So we always look at opportunity for them to grow. So they like that rather than you pick out where do they make mistake. So we always look at, okay, do you have opportunity to increase your market share in this area, in this segment? Um, but first you have to do well in the other segments so that you can have the investment. You can earn your own investment so that you can discount and, and enter into a market which is a great potential, uh, But 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 where, do you get that investment is the question. And we always lead them into doing the right thing so that they can, can self-fund all this investment that they need to grow their business. Uh, and they like it because they also was too close to the battles to understand what is happening. And we sit actually at a you know, 150 kilometer up in the sky and watching the battle. So we know where are the weak points uh, and where are the strong points. And we can guide them into you know, playing out their strong strongest and avoiding the weakest uh, which they cannot see it you know they are in the day-to-day battle you know fighting with so many competitors Uh, and 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 so they rely on us to provide them the guidance and we rely on them to execute it because also you know uh, uh, an action without a person carrying it out is also waste of time
0: absolutely and how are you currently leveraging technology to your advantage and what effects do you think that technology will have over the next few years
1: so we still doing things very basic. I mean, we, we, we still do human analytics. I mean, most of the time we also use machine, but machine is only used to detect trends. Uh, they do not have the context behind, so they do not actually understand, but they can actually help us to segments and they can help us to see the trend in, in a microscopic way because human do not detect small changes uh, like the machine do. So the machine can actually find out, for example, if there is an elasticity change, Uh, if more people will decide not to buy because the price is is higher during, for example, COVID time, uh, when they have less to spend, uh, that change, uh, the machine detects much faster than human, And and, and that is the way we want to use it. Uh, We still do not want the machine to make decisions because most of the time when they do, they make it wrong. Uh, And and I think it's too immature yet. I, I believe in a few years it will be possible, but at this moment in time, I think machines are still pretty stupid. Um, and, and AI is not as intelligent as we wish to see it. Uh, but that also is good because we don't need them to make decisions. I mean, I and my team can make the decisions but they need to give us the best possible guidance uh, so that we can make this intelligently and, and not you know um, just based on our guts. Yeah, and that's always
0: a, a, a key task as well. What do you think was the biggest impact you ever made on a transformation?
1: So I think the biggest impact is actually uh, trying to change people uh, from being a, a cost-based pricing. So they, 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 they know how much it costs, they add a margin, and then they try to then sell it uh, at that price. Uh, that was the, the behavior in a lot of the traditional technology-driven company. Uh so we want to change them into what is called value-based pricing. So that is a huge culture change. You have to tell them no, the cost doesn't matter anymore. You, know, you, you look at how much your 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 solution is going to solve someone else's problem and do they see a perceive, you know, do they perceive the value that you're presenting? I said you may have your best solution or technology, uh like you have a, a Kobe beef, you know, A5, the best you know, beef you can find in the world. But if you are pushing it towards a vegetarian, that person will not perceive the value. So your best may not be what they want. Uh, and you have to change that perception. And you, you always look at from their angle, why should they be buying your product? And you have to give them this, what we call value proposition. You, you po- provide them a value. And if they agree to your value, they will pull your solution in. If they do not agree on your value, no matter how much you push, they still don't buy. And, and that concept change is, is huge. Uh, especially people that are selling for the last 20, 30 years, very successfully. Uh, but now finding, you know, you have all these Asian competitors that are very low cost uh, and they produce the uh, similar products at, at a much better you know, cost ratio. So they can discount in a way that you can never do. And, and then they got stuck um, uh, because selling features and price is very difficult to manage anymore. So you have to turn it around and 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 explain to your customer uh, on total cost of ownership, on you know invest uh, on on invest investment returns, and also on actual you know KPI inference that you can have. You know all these are outcome based discussions, which they find it very uncomfortable to start with. I mean salespeople are so used to the buttons that they have. You know I push this button, this happened. I push that button, that happened. To now discussing about the outcome, so not talking about the machine but what we can do with the machine for you at the very end, you will get 1 million more, 10 million more, or 15 million more. And we have to show you and, and give you the reason to believe it. And that is a huge change. And that was very difficult. And yeah. Beyond difficult, actually.
0: It sounds like you had a lot of success. And I just want to touch a little bit on how you manage people. You say that you have quite a high level approach and then you, you rely on people
1: to execute. How would you describe your own leadership style? So basically, if, uh, I start with trust because you need to make sure that you trust them and then you enable them to be successful. So I don't measure people on a daily basis or even weekly basis. So I give them a one-on-one meeting, which we use not to review. we use it to solve problem together. So when they got some, somewhere stuck, I will give them this one hour per two weeks to solve this problem so he can move forward fast and and, and easy. And of course, my line is always open. Anyone can contact me at any time if they have a a urgent issue to escalate. Uh, So so I trust, you know, if I give them the direction, where is the North Star? Where do we want to end up at the very end? They will find a way to reach there. Uh, And if they need help, I can tell them where's the strictest path. Uh, But other than that, I hardly um, influence or even you know, impact the way they, they do things because I believe um, each of them has the capability to do well. I mean, and you need to give them the opportunity to train themselves as well. If you always hold their hands, um, they will never be able to run. I mean, they, they will always drop, you know, the moment you, you you release your hand. So you need to be brave enough to trust them. And they after a few falling, they will learn and then they will be better than you. So I always believe, um, Giving enough uh guidance and and then coaching, you know every person at the end will will be better than myself uh and then I will just take their credits and be happy um rather than me always try to teach them how I do things, how I do things may be working fifteen twenty years ago, really well, but today I still believe the younger generation may know things are not better than myself, and I don't trust myself anymore and especially in in this new world. And and I do expect them to teach me back uh, and, and coach me back. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And same question really, how do you engage and communicate with senior leaders who maybe where you're in their, their from their perspective, you're the executor and they're more high level than you. When mm-hmm. you convey in the data ideas, what, what do you find works?
1: So the, the the most important thing about um talking to them <laughs> is you use their language. So you have to think of what problem they try to fix. To solve and, and, and what are the, the interests uh, and, and what are the issues and you try to talk in that kind of a, a bucket so at the end of the day you you told them there are potentials you can solve them if you are very serious in solving it yes and we have a way but then you have to invest and this is how you know at the end you 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 you, you capture their trust uh, and then you with their help of course you need them to help you on on it. You know, on funding and also people. Um, and at the end, this is how we communicate. So I started the team in 2012 with uh, basically two and a half person. Um, then we start, you know, building up the trust. When when every time we we committed, we do things, we 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 finished it, and then we overachieved. The next question they ask is, can you do more? And then you answer back, yes, I can do more if I have more people and budget. And this is how we roll. And then now we have 10 people. Um, and next year we'll grow to 14. So if you continue to, to to create impact and continue to show that you always, you know, deliver what you committed, um, they will always invest into you. So I always talk to my manager and say, whatever euro you, you put into my department, I give you 20 back. If I don't do that, then I will, yeah, I will fail and then I will leave. Uh, so I always promise 20 times, and which is the number, magic number, because if they invest in anything else, it's always between 15 to 18 times they can get back. 20 is the stretch. Actually in pricing, it's very easy to get 20 back, even bottom line. So this is what we committed and we always deliver on on that. Um, and, and that is the reason why they keep investing and then don't hesitate.
0: And it's also the reason you're still working at Philips as well.
1: <laughs> yes. Where do you see the
0: biggest opportunity for improvement within Philips right now?
1: I think Philips is a company that um, requires a lot of um, collaboration and agreement. So it's a company that you want everyone to agree before you move. Uh, and so that nobody will resist once you move it, it's not a top-down company, which is very good. I mean, you, you, feel nice being in FedEx because you always have a say. But if you want to move at a speed that is in line with the, if, with the, you know, with the competition and also in the market, uh, we, I mean, if we have to improve, we have to do less of those agreements and, and be brave enough, you know, to, to, to really exec- execute and exercise it. Um, in some senses, more top-down, um, then we can move a little bit faster. I mean, we are not slow, but but we are definitely not fast enough, you know, to 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 be the leader that we need to be uh, all the time. And and I think that's if I say we can improve, that's scenario, area we could definitely improve. Um, otherwise, we are doing quite well. I mean, this year, if you look at our financial reports, this yeah, I would say we did perfectly.
0: Good stuff. So, what do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? <laughs>
1: So the biggest mistake was, um, I was actually um, doing this wonderful job as a management consultant in Sydney, you know, under Pricewaterhouse. Um, and then I decided to make a change and a move. Um, so if I stay on, um, according to the amplitude test, I would have been a partner within 12 years. Uh, so now after 30 odd years, I'm still not a partner. So that would be to me the biggest mistake. Uh, but I, I had a lot of fun, you know, although I'm not a partner.
0: <laughs> there you go how has COVID-19 affected your own role and, and the wider
1: organization as well so the biggest um thing that i miss is the face-to-face with the team uh so i'm a very personal leader so i, I like to see people i like to you know look at their face you know understand what they are feeling uh behind that smile or, or behind that set face uh and and now I, I miss that a lot. I mean, I still can have some kind of a meeting with them, but it's not the same. It is really distant. Uh, and also now, I mean, with um, work-wise, I'm I'm now having this back-to-back meeting, you know, from nine o'clock until seven p.m. every single day. So feel like really running on a treadmill and do not see the end of it. So it's, it itself brings us a lot of growth. We grow more than any single year uh, in our business, uh, but it also takes some toll. I mean, I'm I really struggle. <laughs> it's just too much work, uh, and, and and there's no end to it. I mean, we don't even have lunch anymore now that in home office. I mean, lunch is is still on the same table. You're still reading email and you're still talking to people. Uh, it, yeah, home office is certainly not the healthiest <laughs> environment uh, at all do you have some sort of routine to
0: help you differentiate between home life and work life?
1: Seven o'clock sharp eyes shut my PC no matter what I'm doing. Yes. So that, that at least keep my evening to be in, in a, in a good shape. So I still will make sure I have dinner with my family. Uh, yeah. And and, and making sure, you know, I, I still have time to do some private stuff. So yeah, that's the only thing routine I have. And I don't start until nine o'clock. I don't switch mm-hmm. on my PC, although I'm, I'm awake basically at 7.30. I would not touch my PC until seven, uh, 9 o'clock. So 9 to 7, that's the time I dedicated to work. Everything else, I just yeah. completely shut down.
0: What's your top working from home tip then?
1: Oh, you need to have, to have a, a good person to cook and to offer you um, afternoon the tea and all that. I mean, you you need those to survive. <laughs> and and you need to have a toilet quite nearby because most of the time back to back meeting don't allow too much um you know time that that you can run in and out of toilets so
0: <laughs> brilliant what's the best piece of advice you ever received
1: ah so don't do anything until you know it will create impact for your company that is uh, an advice from my manager uh, many years ago and, and and that advice really worked because now every time someone gives me a work, I immediately think, is it a waste of time? If I do something that don't create impact, I will not do it. I will not spend my time, and I will tell him frankly, you know, if you cannot, you know, prove that this will generate an action that will do something and move the needle, that's not something we want to spend time on. Uh, and it really helps because you can easily filter uh, and 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 op- prioritize your work. Uh, Otherwise, you are just working for no reason, and and <laughs> I don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, makes sense. What are you curious about right now?
1: I am very curious on how the market will restructure next year. I mean, once the, I mean, the vaccine is working and the COVID is gone, um, how do the market reorganize itself? Because now a lot of change has already been done, and some may not be going backwards i mean the way how people buy things i mean now they you know they shop online a lot more uh even in health systems i mean we are doing healthcare uh and people now you know join also you know conferences and and also even uh trade shows virtually uh when they have the chance to go back to normal will they do that or not uh and also how do they deal with the surge of patients that will come back Uh, Today, I mean, a lot of patients, they are too scared to go into the hospital, too afraid that they catch COVID. Um, What if all of them suddenly appear at the same time at the door of the hospital? How can they deal with that tsunami? Uh, So those are the things that I'm curious to see. I I just want to see, okay, how do people handle that and and, and work with this unplanted attack? It's almost like a a cyber attack on your hospital with humans. and, or zombie, you know, this movie is that, that you have, you know, a thousand zombies walking into your hospital. So that, that is what I'm really curious at the moment. Awesome. So who
0: is your favorite thought leader or author?
1: Oh, Richard Branson, for sure. Mm. So I, I love, you know, how he looked at things and, and how he, you know, he, he only worked on fun things, mm. things that don't excite him and, and don't use his intelligence, he will not do. And, and, yeah. and I try to learn that from him
0: what is your favorite quote
1: i don't remember exactly but it's about you know don't 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 treat your clients first treat your own people first because you know if you really treat them well they will treat your clients well i do the same i i, I treat my team really really well so then they will treat you know our clients which are lot our internal uh, really really well so you if you keep them engaged keep them happy and and they find fulfilling you know role in in their, in their work, then they will be much, much better as, as a, a person to, you know, to serve others. Uh, and I, I fully follow that. And, and it works. I mean it works very well. And finally, what advice would you give
0: for aspiring leaders in data?
1: So this is the <laughs> I, I do things in reverse. Coming from the consultancy company, actually I learned it from, from, from Pricewaterhouse. You don't start a project by collecting data and try to find a way to deal with that data. So what can I do with this data is the wrong approach. You should go the other way around. Look at who has the most money that they can spend. And then look at that person who has the most money. What is the problem that he want to solve? And then you find a way to solve it for him so that he was willing to give you that power of money that you need. This is internal or external. I mean, I I also work a lot with the financial controller. He has the most money and then I get a lot from him. Um, And then you think, okay, what can I help him to solve the problem? What, What actions he need to do in order to solve those problems? And what do people need to see? Who need to see it so that they can take those actions? And then you pull back and say that, okay, in order to create those, views or, or, or those analytics so who can produce those analytics and where do that data come from then you start collecting data because sometimes you find out you know you, you can have all the data already there or sometimes you say i miss only one and maybe you can purchase the data or you can then dig into that data once you feed all this data with the right person generating the right analytics you know to to allow people to see it and take the action then they will create the impact to solve the problem and then at the end, you know, everyone is happy. Um, so I always say, don't start with data. And a lot of people do, and and I see that also uh, in in Philips a lot. You know, they, they collected so much data, you know, petabytes of data, and and they say, okay, what can we do now with the data? I say, okay, this is wrong question to ask. We don't do with the data. You know, we 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 find first the person who can pay you because you, you can do a lot, but not everything that you do can be can can be uh monetized and, and and create profit and if you want to make money as a company you look for people that will pay for your 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 service first then you track backwards and see how you can use your data to serve that uh and not the other way around so my recommendation is if you are leadership in data start from the end not from the beginning
0: Amazing advice from Daniel Cho, Senior Director of Global Pricing and Competitive Portfolio Analytics at Philips. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.